everybody, welcome back to another fantastic edition of Hard in the Paint Podcast, the NBA podcast where we ask the hard questions about the NBA. I am your host, Matt, and again I'm joined by my cohort, Michael. And today, in the wonderful of basketball, we're going to talk about just a couple of the, the contracts that have been going around. Uh, the NBA awards were last night as of this recording. So we'll talk about just what happened there real fast. But then the meat of the episode will be about the miraculous run of the 2011-2012 Thunder and the success of the Thunder drafting three uh, MVPs and then never winning a title. And so with that, let's just jump right into the league updates for today. So... One of the, I guess, newest additions, uh, newest news bits that has been coming out here recently is the re-signing of of Nikola Jokic over in Nuggets land. So he has now gotten a five-year, $150 million contract, which is huge. Uh, And honestly, I don't think anybody expected this of him. He's kind of went under the radar for really every year except the last two years he's a european guy and he just fits right into that nugget system Uh, he's really a cornerstone of of, he's sort of this weird playmaking center Uh, it's it's really unique system they got going on over there what do you think about this Jokic deal uh i mean he deserves to get paid um i don't know if i would have signed into a a five-year max um like you said he's Pretty much the playmaker for the for the Nuggets. Um, only downside is that he's kind of he's he's a bit slow on defense. Like he kind of has that plodding sort of like jog up and down the court. Um, but I mean, it's a good fit. You know, they they draft Michael Porter Jr. Um, you know, they got some good pieces around them, and at this point, he basically is the focal point of the franchise for the next five years. Yeah, I I don't think I don't know. This is basically thirty million dollars a year, which is like a normal max contract. I don't know if I would have. I mean, maybe he could have gotten that money somewhere else. Maybe he was going to leave, but honestly, I don't think he does. Doesn't feel like he really fits in anywhere right now with the current free agent market. So maybe he could have gotten him for a little cheaper. Uh, additionally, we have another guy who's getting paid too much money and that is Carmelo. He is going to opt into his second year of his $28 million contract with the Oklahoma City Thunder and off some very passive aggressive Instagram posts, he obviously cares much more about the money than he does about winning or companionship or whatever the else is going on in his brain. I'm not a huge fan of this and I don't think you you are either, right Michael? Uh, I'm a fan if you're mellow because uh, basically he's getting like a max uh, amount of money for you know essentially you know a bench player like he's basically making the same amount as LeBron will make if LeBron chooses to leave Cleveland which is insane considering <laughs> their production value and what they mean <laughs> and of course Mello having probably his worst year as an NBA player last year Oh, most out, yeah. 
And then, of course, the ever-circulating trade rumors of LeBron and Kawhi and uh, even DeAndre Jordan's in the mix now for a few teams. Even uh, I heard some Kemba stuff going around. I even heard one thing the other day that was like the Cavs drafted Colin Sexton to potentially make a trade for Kemba, which is an interesting fast that I haven't seen. But then there was also a Ringer article out today that said Philly could could uh, sign and trade for both Kawhi and LeBron at the same time and keep Simmons and Embiid, sure which should. is absolutely incredible. They basically yeah. lose everyone else on their team, but you, yeah. know, you take them four and you just get some MLEs. So that's, I think you got a chance, right? Oh, most definitely. That'd be sick. Um, yeah, I mean, right now, I think, you know, we're on the 26th of June, so we still got a few days uh, before free agency kicks off. But uh, I really feel like LeBron is just going to opt in for the one extra year, $35 million, and wait until next summer to really make his official move. Um, next summer, you know, if, if Paul George, you know, runs it back with Oklahoma City for one more year, if the Spurs don't end up trading Kawhi, um, you know, Melo just opted in for that one year, $28 million. But other guys that would be on the market in 2019 would be Clay Thompson. Um, you know, who knows what the environment of Golden State is next year. Kyrie would be uh, up in Boston. Kemba, Kevin Love, Carl Anthony Towns. Um, so summer 2019 is going to be a pretty big year for free agents. I think the cap also goes up that year, and the Brooklyn Nets are looking like they're going to try and make a move in that summer. So um, I think LeBron just kind of signs like a one-year deal, makes his, makes his money, and kind of pushes off um, decision 3.0 for a year. I'm starting to lean more towards this way, too. Unless this miraculous Philly shenanigans happens which i kind of don't think it will it's just way too many moving parts <laughs> uh, however i think that um what was i gonna say oh yeah i heard i heard a rumor today well not i don't know if it's a rumor but it's some insider woge info that <laughs> lebron said the decision will be made before july 4th oh interesting or, or he but... hinted at that somehow i guess in their private talks yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is, uh, obviously, like, the big three free agents are LeBron, Paul George, and Kawhi. And it'll be interesting to see, like, which one of them make kind of that first move. Um, and then, you know, what's the response of the other two? And if Paul George does end up going to the Lakers, I believe he'd have to change his number. Um, I think the number 13 has already been retired. So downside of him going to Lakers is he has to like kind of rebrand his uh celebrity gotta change his whole logo yeah yeah you know it's it's one of those things where when the first domino falls they're all gonna fall but they're all facing the same way so it's like somebody just has to bite the bullet and make a make a like a total total shot in the dark faith move to get the ball rolling the only other real uh, different side of this thing is Dallas is looking for a center like they always are, and DeAndre Jordan's in the talks, a returning DeMarcus Cousins in the talks. 
Uh, potentially Whiteside is in the talks. So Capella, I would throw Capella in there. Yeah, some Capellas in there too. I uh, think Capella is the most untouchable out of those four, but we'll see. I mean, they've had this problem for a couple years now, but Dallas is at least a league pass team, so you know, feels good to be to be Mark right now. And now moving to what happened last night was the NBA Awards show, which of course is, uh, I think we can both agree is excessive and comes way too late in the season now. Yeah, it just feels too like slow for just a few awards. Um, you know, I think they have to kind of turn it more into like either like what they do with all-star weekend or there's just like other things going on to keep you interested um or do it you know kind of during the first round of the playoffs maybe um because like obviously a lot of these winners don't end up being in the finals or like that far into a playoff run so it's like you know it kind of feels weird to like bring them back out um especially someone like Dwayne Casey where it's like fired and then he's already been rehired by a different team but he's going to win the award for coaching a team that he was fired from it's like yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's a, like uh i feel like they should just move this whole i'm okay doing the award show thing if they just wouldn't do it so late like they need to do this like before the playoffs so just yeah. just throw an extra week in there where it's like award voting and then award show. Oh, see, I think if they actually cut the number of games down, then they could just like, that would free up essentially like about 10 days. Um, and then you could hold the awards kind of in that 10 day slot. And I, I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of having like an awards show. I think it's kind of cooler when like uh, these guys can like win it in front of their like home fans. You know what I mean? Like, um, if James Harden was like given the MVP during the Western Conference Finals at like game game one or something in the Western Conference Finals, it's like yeah, it definitely means like more. A, yeah, I think you kind of need like uh like fans kind of being involved in this a little bit. Otherwise, it just feels a little too like um kind of strict. I don't know. It just feels very clunky. It feels very manufactured. It's just like let's take whatever the Oscars does. And copy and paste it over, but then have the whole inside crew commentating yeah. it at the same time, and it's very like back and forth and yeah. Or or they the award show instead of it being like um, produced and directed and um, staged and choreographed and all that, it'd be better if there was like an NBA party planning committee. You know, like some of these players like formed some type of like party planning committee. You know, like imagine if Chris Paul was like the one in charge. And he's like, all right, guys, like, we'll come up with the celebrations and, like, the venue and everything. That might be a little bit more interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess, like, looking at the, the list, um, I mean, here's kind of the rundown. MVP, James Harden, Rookie of the Year, Ben Simmons, Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, Sixth Man, Lou Williams, Most Improved Player, Victor Oladipo, Coach of the Year, Dwayne Casey, Executive of the Year, Daryl Morey. I mean, no real surprises, um, except maybe at that Sixth Man spot. Yeah, yeah, the only two real contested ones were the Rookie of the Year debate between Ben and Donovan, and basically once you figure out they both count as rookies, you almost have to go with Ben. 
Um, so off that technical issue, Ben wins it. And then uh, defensive player was probably always going to be Rudy Gobert. There was maybe a dark horse Anthony Davis in there. And yeah. six man was probably the most 50-50 between Lou Williams and Eric Gordon. Yeah, I agree. I'm a little surprised. Uh, I mean, I don't actually know what the vote, like the, the voting breakdown is for all these awards. Um, but I'd be interested in seeing the coach of the year. See if uh, Brad Stevens, you know, like how close was he? Was um, obviously losing Gordon Hayward in the first five minutes, and then Kyrie with like four weeks left, I think, in the regular season. Um, there's, sold, yeah, you know, there was that season. rumor that went around. I think it was like two months ago where he didn't get any fellow coach votes for like the the coaching association award. Yeah, yeah, it seems kind of weird. Um, they did finish second in the East, and they weren't that far behind Toronto. So, if I'm not mistaken, they did the same thing with the votes this year, where it was like 25% coaches and players, and like 25% media, and like 50% fans or something, right? Uh, I, think, I think it's like a little, yeah. I think the ratio is a little bit different, but yeah, I think that's about it. I think the media gets the bulk of the voting power. Okay, uh, yeah, I might have had that back. And I know that they've been wanting to eliminate fan voting uh, just because it's like, like, otherwise it would be like, way, it would be way too biased, I think. Um, and I mean, I'm all for eliminating fan voting. Like, you have the All-Star game. Um, but, I mean, James Harden uh, winning his first MVP. Now he joins kind of Russ and Kevin Durant um, as you know, former current or current Thunder players with an MVP. Um, kind of a long time coming. You know, he's kind of always been top two or three last few years, James Harden. Um, I think his stat line this year was like a 30, uh, eight and six or something along those lines. Um, kind of edging out LeBron um, in points per game. But I think everything else, LeBron actually had a more efficient season. Yep. Um, but obviously, 60-plus wins is 60-plus wins, you know. Right, and also, you know, number one in the West with Golden State in your conference. Um, he was played, I think he played, like, 80 games or something. He played, he played most of the games. He had some of the biggest nights in the season. I think he had, he didn't have, like, a 30-20 and 20 game. Then he had a couple 50-point games. Yeah, and he had that 60-point triple-double, and then he had that one uh, play against the Clippers. I think it was Wesley – no, maybe it was Dallas. Was it Wesley Matthews, where he basically is posts up, like, kind of on that left um, wing of the three, and, he, you know, his ankles are so crushed that, like, Harden just kind of stares him down. Oh, right, yeah. He, he – yeah, that was Wesley Matthews. He crossed him up so bad. Yeah. And he just sat there on the floor. <laughs> Uh, and he yeah. like stared at him for like a solid three seconds before he took the shot. I mean, oh, that, was that, might, that might have clinched him the MVP. It might have ended that man's career too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you I, think of uh, what do you think of all those other um, votes like Dunk of the Year, Play of the Year, um, Pass of the Year? You know, those uh, I guess more gimmicky awards. I didn't. I didn't watch a ton of those. The only one I really have a takeaway from is our boy Kemba winning Sportsman Teammate of the Year or something like that. Consecutive years, yeah. Yeah, so uh, this is a nudge-nudge to get someone to join him on whatever team he's on. Hey, he's a good teammate, guys. Give him some help. 
Put him in OKC with Russ. Put him in, I don't know, put him in Portland. Play like ultra small. I don't care. Just give him, give him some teammates <laughs> that can score. John Wall and Kemba. They would like balance each other out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it may be. I mean, he couldn't balance out Dwight, so how's he going to balance out John Wall? Good point. Uh, so, you know, in, in light of those other awards, I decided to make up two of my own awards. Um, and I've already, you know, voted on them. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you uh, have your say on, uh, on my winners. But the first award, um, called the Jeremy Lin Court Overachiever Award for Monster Paydays and Franchise Branding. Um, some last-minute surge voting. Um, I'm going to give it to Click Compella of the Houston Rockets uh, for just kind of, you know, basically the, the, the spirit of the award is given a short window in a fairly large market, you excel so much that the next year you get like a monster payday, um, whether it's a max contract or starting role or something along those lines. I, I, you know, I... That's not a bad guess. The dude is definitely going to get overpaid wherever he ends up. Mm-hmm. I also think that you could make an argument for, especially with how the playoffs ended, you could make that argument for JaVale McGee. <laughs> Give that boy a payday. Shacked in a full MVP. Perfect in the finals. Played great defense. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Uh, and the other, the last award is the NBA Wife and Girlfriend of the Year Award uh, with an almost unanimous vote, Khloe Kardashian. That's not a bad one. However, I'd have to give it to, uh, I know, I think she still wins, but my second place would be uh, Aisha Curry. I don't know if you saw the, <laughs> the family feud they did the other night with the Currys versus the Chris Paul family. And oh, she man, got in the fast money. She got yeah. four out of the five number one answers. Oh man! And so, so Steph, when he did the second half, only had to get six points, <laughs> and he got the he got the other number one answer with that last six points. So <laughs> that's they, pretty awesome. Yeah, they just destroyed the game. So, so she gets my my highlight of the year, I guess. Oh, nice, nice. And so that's pretty much all of the real uh, newsworthy items over the past couple of days. Uh, a couple other smaller things have been here and there, but you got to realize we're kind of starving for info right now. It's the awkward moment between the draft and then when people can actually start signing things and they aren't supposed to tamper yet, but they kind of are. Wakers. Uh, <coughs> Magic Johnson. <coughs> <coughs> And you know, Magic Johnson being being such a presence anywhere, of course, he will never get called out for tampering, let alone it will disturb his paycheck at all. But you too can can tamper with some trades and potentially with your franchise's legacy by trading away your best player in multiple years. And what team am I suggesting of? None other run by Sam Presti, the 2011-2012 Oklahoma City Thunder. But before we talk about the 12 Thunder that have drafted three consecutive MVPs, you can make V8 Energy the MVP of your, of your drink selection. 
Uh, V8 Energy is a drink made from ingredients you know and love and is powered with the caffeine of natural green tea. Each can has one combined serving of fruits and veggies, uh, an excellent source of B vitamins, and of course, GMO-free, artificial colors and sweeteners free, uh, no sugar added, and it's a very low calorie uh, juice blend beverage. So uh, just going over some of the, the amazing aspects of V8, uh, right now I'm drinking the orange pineapple variety, and I have to say this is the best one. I'm not a big pineapple guy, so the orange covers up really well. It's almost like, uh, almost has a little bit of a mango taste to it. Goes down real smooth. It's great cold. Uh, definitely not good hot. But you get only 50 calories per can, and you get, you know, 50% of your B12, uh, only 10 grams of sugar, a very low sodium, and you get 80 milligrams of caffeine, which is uh, better than the leading energy drink and just less than a brewed cup of coffee without spiking you so hard as coffee or energy drinks can tend to do. So you too can be the MVP of your beverage selection with V8 Energy. Speaking of MVPs, this Thunder roster is so loaded, I don't understand how they ever lost a game. They have, you know, a 23-year-old KD, they have a 23-year-old Russell Westbrook, a 22-year-old James Harden. What more could you want? Oh, let's throw in a 23-year-old Serge Ibaka, and then these great staple, you know, alternate pieces of, of Cephalosha and a playable Kendrick Perkins and a <laughs> last leg of his career, Derek Fisher. And, I mean, geez, how, what, what went wrong here? Like, what, what, what's going on with this team? I just don't understand. Yeah, um, you know, I think it's worth kind of looking at, you know, the early years of this team, how it was kind of created and, you know, how they started to gain some momentum. And then, you know, we'll take a deep dive into kind of their their 2012 playoff run. But like you said, I mean, all these guys were so young. They were all drafted. You know, these weren't free agents that um, Pressy sort of scouted out and like, um, you know, you know, kind of coerced with money. Um, but three consecutive drafts, um, obviously probably one of the most successful GM runs in NBA history. And he made some other good moves with Cephalosha and Kendrick Perkins and Derek Fisher, you know, a good mix of big man basketball length and athleticism with Cephalosha and a vet with Derek Fisher. Um, Scott Brooks, you know, was a hot name in coaching at the time, um, you know, they had relocated from Seattle. And, you know, in, in 2011, they made the Western Conference Finals. Um, they ultimately lost to the Dallas Mavericks, who would go on to beat the Miami Heat in the finals and take their first title. And, you know, kind of looking back, it's like, it's kind of interesting because if Oklahoma City in 2011 had beaten that Dallas team, um, their potential East matchup may not have been the big three Miami Heat. But it might have been the Chicago Bulls featuring a young guard, Derrick Rose, 22 years old, fresh off his MVP season. So you might have had Derrick Rose at 22 against Kevin Durant and Russ and Harden. And everyone's, you know, essentially, I mean, would that not have been the craziest finals ever if it was OKC in Chicago in 2011? 
that would have been ridiculous. I mean, you've got two of the most aggressive driving, you know, dunk on you guards, in, probably in league history, going at a head-to-head matchup the whole game. You've got this defensive stalwart of the Bulls versus this like two-pronged, what should be three-pronged offense of OKC. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would be extremely entertaining in my opinion, but of course we know that Chicago did not win that year. Uh, and speaking of which, Derrick Rose was drafted ten years ago today. FYI, oh nice, uh, to D Rose. Um, yeah, that that was uh, I believe the year before this, or I guess technically the same year. I forget. You know, however you want to break up eleven or twelve, but they lost the to the championship Mavs that year, I believe, in the playoffs. Yeah, and yeah, and then Dallas obviously went on to beat, uh, you know, the first year of LeBron in Miami. Um, so I mean, Oklahoma City was, you know, basically knocking on the door pretty early on. Um, and you know, they had a good stretch from two thousand eleven to two thousand sixteen. Out of a possible six Western Conference Finals. They were in four of them, um, which is a pretty good run for you know a franchise that um, you know didn't really have a lot going on after the Gary Payton, Sean Kemp years, and then obviously with the relocation into a really small market, you know that franchise could have gone into like you know a whole lot of different ways um, and become like a new Sacramento or like an Orlando. I mean, this was the time when Dwight. And the Orlando Magic, you know, were seen as like a potential, um, you know, powerhouse in the East. And they were, you know, pretty much on the precipice of breaking up. So for this Oklahoma City team to kind of come together with this collection of talent and not win a title um, in those runs, you know, it's a little bit disappointing. Um, Definitely. It's something where I think people thought that, um, you know, when they lost the Mavs that first run, they're like, holy crap, we got something here. Mm-hmm. And then I think I think it came down to just a little bit of immaturity, a little bit of bad coaching, maybe some lineup decisions. But nonetheless, the next year when they actually make it into the finals. Yeah, so, I mean, the 2011-2012 regular season, it's, you know, a lockout season. So the games didn't start, I think, until Christmas Day. Uh, OKC finished second in the West behind San Antonio. Uh, Kevin Durant picked up his third consecutive scoring title, picked up an all-star MVP. Um, Him and Westbrook both made all-NBA, and Harden became the sixth man of the year. And if that wasn't enough, Serge Ibaka, you know, was a first-team all-defense. So they had a really good balance, Um, you know, like you said, a little bit of immaturity. Um, but they were, you know, they were kind of rolling, you know, they had that playoff experience from the year before and then going into the 2012 playoffs, you know, the first two rounds, uh, you know, they sort of blew past competition. Um, first round, they swept the Mavs who were the defending champions. Um, but then again, the Mavs had sort of self-imploded that team anyway. Second round, they defeated the Lakers in a gentleman sweep. Um, but obviously Kobe had his injury problems and that team was probably, two or three years too old to really contend. Um, And then in the Western Conference Finals, they found themselves down 0-2 against San Antonio. It looked like the Spurs were kind of getting that second 
Dynasty Peak going, um, which of course they would sort of have with 2013 getting to the finals and then 2014 winning the championship. Um, but then the Oklahoma City defeated them in six games um, to make it to the 2012 finals. So, you know, before we start kind of breaking down some of these finals, um, some of the, you know, the, the teams that they had to go through in the West, the Mavs, the Lakers, the Spurs, the Clippers, and the Grizzlies, um, kind of over the, like a three, four year window um, for these Thunder teams. I mean, that's a pretty hard slate. Especially, I think it's interesting to note that, you know, after this year, the injuries start piling in, you know, people start leaving the team for one reason or another. This is like the, what I don't think they realized at the time was really, this is like this culmination of your best chance of possibly winning. And yeah. you really felt that after they defeated the Spurs, right? Because the, the the Spurs kind of were just running circles around them, really. And it, once they kind of figured out how to really play at that next gear, mm-hmm. you felt like, okay, this team could totally win the thing, win, win it all. Because, you know, they played the Lakers, and like you said, the Lakers were like three years too late. And, of course, the Mavs, yeah. did, the Mavs were like, oh, let's just not re-sign Tyson Chandler and all these other guys. Yeah, the big thing with uh, this Thunder team is – you know, they were super tall. You know, they had incredible, like, length. And they had this kind of athleticism that really couldn't be matched. You know, like, they had the athleticism to take down the Spurs and the Mavs and the Lakers, um, teams that just really couldn't compete at the same pace. And then they also had that size to battle low with the Clippers and the Grizzlies, um, with Ibaka, Kevin Durant, and Seth Losha. So they had a good, you know... Um, you know, plan A, plan B for different types of teams that they, you know, very flexible, very adaptable in the playoffs. Not only that, but, th- you know, th- you might say, oh, man, they got some great guys that can switch on everything. And maybe centers their weakest spot with, like, a very young Steven Adams and then, you know, like the last good year of Nick Collison. But, yeah. But uh, I mean, also... Kendrick Perkins was basically playing their five, I think. Uh, yeah, I think he was, like, a matchup five. But yeah. th- this team hard- didn't really take that many threes besides, like, Kevin Durant and Russ jacking shots. Like, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, this modern NBA where it's everybody can shoot threes from each corner yeah. and whatnot. You know, Ibaka was not a great offensive option back then for even, like, 16-footers. Like, that was the shot you settled with. Yeah, it was, you know, an interesting team. And then... So they're going into the 2012 finals. Um, you know, interestingly, Oklahoma City had home court advantage, um, although this was in the 2-3-2 two, two, uh, format, and they were actually the fa- they were actually Vegas's favorites um, to take the title over uh, the Miami Heat, appearing in their second straight finals. Um, and you know, I you know I watched all these games, you know, looked on YouTube. And it was kind of interesting because uh, I think people kind of forgot how beloved James Harden uh, really was on that OKC team. You know, like the fans are going crazy and it's like outside, there's this whole like fear the beard campaign. Um, so it was, it was kind of, you know, it's, it's so kind of disappointing when you think like, oh man, six weeks later, he's not even on the team. It's really... Um... 
And the sad part is of the whole ordeal here is James Harden's coming off the bench the whole time, even though he's definitely playing at starter levels of uh, points and efficiency and whatnot. And pretty much he's a matchup nightmare for all these teams. Mm -hmm. As you might have heard in in, uh, Chris Bosh when he was on the ringer with Bill Simmons is, you know, Miami's game plan was, you know, let's, you know, Harden's the guy that's going to screw us over the most. So let's take him out of the game. And, you know, Russ will shoot himself out of the game and KD can't do it all. They're like, man, this Harden guy, he's actually just going to be the, like, perfect card against us. Um, and yeah, as you see throughout the finals, Harden kind of has a pretty much a rough time. And I think that sort of led into that trade decision, even though yeah, it's not justified. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely while watching these games. Um, you could just see that Miami was the better defensive team. And, you know, the, the two guys they targeted a lot were James Harden. Um, and they, you know, they kind of try to slow Kevin Durant down as much as he could. Um, but they also try to force the ball into Cephalosha's hands, um, you know, at some point during the shot clock. Um, and this Oklahoma City team, you know, home court favorites and they were undefeated in the playoffs at home going into these finals. Um, so, you know, what I'm going to do here is uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list out some stats. And then, Matt, I want you to see if, uh, based on the information that I give you, see if you can guess which team won and by how much. Um, feel free to ask, you know, follow-up questions. I'll see if I can answer them. Um, so I think it's like a really interesting series that people have kind of forgotten about. So game one, um, it's in Oklahoma City. Uh, I'll tell you that Russ put up 27 and 11. Uh, and Kevin Durant scored 17 in the fourth quarter, uh, scoring 36 overall. Who do you think won that game? So Russ has 27 points, 11 assists. Uh, yeah, <laughs> in game one of the NBA Finals. Holy smokes. And KD scores 17 in the fourth quarter. Holy. Yep. And uh, uh, here's a, here's another stat for you. In the second half, the Miami Heat scored 40 points. And Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook scored 41. So between KD and Russ, they outscored the other team entirely. What do you think won that game? I think... Yeah, my 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 stats wanted me to say OKC won, but I think the Heat won. I think right. No, OKC definitely did win this game. Oh, oh, what? Okay. They had a fourth quarter comeback. Um, they ended up winning the game by eleven. LeBron James uh, had a terrible fourth quarter. Uh, Chris Bosh um, had an abdominal injury, kind of in this in this playoff run. Um, getting banged around by Chicago a lot. So he didn't actually start in this game and he had limited minutes. And so, you know, interestingly, LeBron actually, you know, uh, had the opening tip. Um, But yeah, game one, Oklahoma City takes 105-94 on their home court. And, you know, I think at this point, people are really starting to think, man, this Miami team, you know, this could go south really quickly. It's a young team in Oklahoma City, um, and now they've got their confidence. And, you know, after the previous year where the Mavs came back to beat the Miami Heat, you know, this whole big three era, 
you know, starting to see some nerves, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, it's the idea of this homegrown big three it might just be a faster and better dynasty than what was manufactured by the first super team of all time, yeah. really. And, uh, you know, after that Mavs loss fiasco, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of hot seats going on in Miami, you know. Yeah. So this, this, I don't think this really helped that cause out much at all. I think, you know, you got Eric Spolstra in the, in the hot seat. You got even, you know, Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade and all those guys in the hot seat. And LeBron. I mean, this was before LeBron kind of had this, you know, clutch mentality that he's kind of had the last three years um, in Cleveland. You know, the 2011, pretty much all those fourth quarters, I mean, LeBron was like nowhere to be found. And then in game one, uh, the 2012 finals, you know, LeBron, you know, he sort of disappeared in that second half. Um, but we'll move on to game two. All right, so game two, uh, here, are some, here are some stats. Uh, LeBron James has five fouls with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. Or sorry, Kevin Durant has five fouls with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. Um, he ends up scoring 30 plus and Russ comes out of the gates with a 27, eight and seven game. Harden scores 21, um, including a 14 point, um, haymaker really in about a 10 minute stretch between quarters one and two. Uh, but on the flip side, Chris Bosch gets 15 rebounds, um, and basically out maneuvers uh Serge Ibaka and Kendrick Perkins. And this one this one might actually kind of give it away the most, but uh in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, the person guarding LeBron James is James Harden. Who do you think won this game and by how much? Uh Miami wins, I think. You are correct. You want to you want to put up a guess by how much they won? Uh, so Miami started out the first quarter with an eighteen to two run. Okay, that's pretty. That's pretty good, man. Eighteen to two. I'm gonna guess it's like a eight point win. Four points. Uh, and actually, Kevin Durant, you know, kind of, it looked like he got fouled with about ninety seconds left in the game. Um, in which case he would have gone to the foul line and cut the lead down to two. Um, and Oklahoma City had a huge rush despite Kevin Durant only having, um, despite having five fouls for most of the fourth quarter. And honestly, it looked like, you know, after watching that game, that if, you know, if that game went on for three more minutes, Oklahoma City was going to complete the comeback, which would have been insane. Well, so they had all this crazy momentum, even though KD would have fouled out in overtime if that happened. Basically, yeah. I mean, basically, they were playing with, like, you know, Katie really couldn't contribute on defense in the fourth quarter, and they still almost pulled it out. Hmm. Um, but as the series um, shifted to Miami, game three, uh, this, you know, was kind of the clinical, healthy Dwayne Wade game. He put up 20, 25, 7, and 7. Uh, and then in the third quarter... The Oklahoma City Thunder uh, took the lead and were 
starting to put the pressure on the Miami Heat. Um, and the game was 86-85 with a minute 30 left in favor of Oklahoma City. Who do you think won the game? That's a one-point game with a minute and a half left. Yep. There's tons of fouls going on. Yep. I got to favor the, the older team in that case. I'm going with the Heat on this one. Yep, they pulled it out 91-85. The Oklahoma City, uh, the last minute 30, could not get a field goal. Um, this was... It was so awful to watch because Russ was just jacking up shots. Like, he looked so inconceivably raw from the field that he... I mean, this was like the the bad Russ that everyone used to bash him for, where he doesn't give Kevin Durant the ball, and he just sort of tries to do it himself, but he doesn't... Like, he just can't finish. Um, I think I remember watching this game live way back when, and I think it was after this game where I was like, man, why don't they just switch Harden and Westbrook and just have Westbrook come off the bench and Harden start the game because I was like man Westbrook's just taking all these dumb shots he's missing everything that Harden guy he's like you know plus you know above 50% from the field and and he can still make those passes and he gets into the paint at least when he's gonna try and take a bad shot but uh. yeah I mean unfortunately uh, Russ and Harden combined went 10 of 28 from the field yeah, that's, that's rough. And this, you know, this game, game three, really started to be kind of the the turning point in the series um, for LeBron. He put up a twenty nine and fourteen, and he played outstanding defense on Kevin Durant in the second half. Um, Kevin Durant only finished with twenty five, with only twelve in the second half. Um, so this was kind of the you know LeBron kind of taking over game. Uh, which kind of leads us into game four, which was one of the weirder games um, that I sort of forgot all the details, and it was you know it was really weird. Um, but I'll, I'll give you some of these uh, these stats. Um, Harden continues to struggle from the field, um, and the uh, LeBron James um, comes up with leg cramps um, in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, despite having like near triple double numbers, um, he can't really play the last three minutes of this game. And Kevin Durant puts up 28. Russell Westbrook puts up 43, and they score all of the points for Oklahoma City in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it's it's a Miami win, right? It is. Uh, surprisingly, Miami wins this game 104-98. Um, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook have a combined 65 points. Uh, they score all the fourth quarter points. LeBron doesn't even play the very last bit of the fourth quarter. But Mario Chalmers comes out of nowhere and scores 25. Oh, okay. I was not expecting that stat. Wow. Yeah, one of the, one of the kind of notable things about this series... Um, was, you know, you, you can make an argument that the big three for the Thunder and the big three for the Miami Heat um, kind of canceled each other out, you know. This was, you know, kind of a, a young Kevin Durant and, you know, um, 
a LeBron who still wasn't really that good with the jump shot. There was Dwayne Wade kind of versus Harden. There was Chris Bosh versus Westbrook, um, Serge Ibaka. But Miami had a really good bench. Um, Shane Battier had 34 points in the first two games uh, combined. Mario Chalmers played really well. Norris Cole kind of came out of nowhere. Um, And Mike Miller would seal it up in game five. Um, You know, despite having essentially a broken back. Um, So you saw a lot of, you know, supporting casts you know, kind of showing up in the finals, which you didn't necessarily have with the Thunder. Um, Harden really struggled. Derek Fisher kind of had his ups and downs. Kendrick Perkins was never really able to dominate the boards. Um, You know, a lot of this kind of came down to that supporting cast X factor and determining the championship. Um, and it kind of, you know, it kind of felt like if you added one more piece to the Thunder, they probably would have had that team. Um, so in, in 2012, who do you think the Thunder could have added um, as kind of a, a veteran or maybe like a supporting guy that might have given them something to take the title? Well, it seems like the the problem is they either needed, they needed another like three-point shooter in that starting lineup that you know because the kind of the idea is you you let them let Suffolosha take whatever shot he gets kind of deal so if you replace him with like uh geez Ooh. yeah because I mean these were really tight games game yeah. two Miami took with a four point win game three they won by six and game four they won by six um, so, you know, if you can find anybody that can give you, like, 10 points uh, consistently off the bench, you know, this this title flips the other way. Yeah, except for that last game, which I guess is a little more of a, a spiritual victory before they even got in the building type deal. Yeah. But, I mean, that game may not have happened if, uh, you know, in game four with Russ putting up 43, they notch it up, you know. I just remember seeing, you know, during the presentations of the game, you know, you got guys talking about stats and stuff. They get those nice infographics of like points and and assists and field goal percentage and stuff. And you're just like, holy smokes, these OKC guys just, just load the box score. But then you look at the rest of their cast and you're right. It's like they just need a guy in there that can just get you like 10 points on like three of five. Yep. Like, if they had, oh, man, I'm trying to think of, like, who's around then that could have fixed this problem. Maybe, like, a, a rookie Eric Gordon? I don't know. Someone I was kind of thinking about um, was if they were willing to spend the money a little bit, they could have gotten a Pau Gasol. You know, he's already got his two championships in the Lakers. They've had a couple rough years with Kobe's injury. You know, maybe Powell gets tempted to come to Oklahoma City. Um, and, you know, you got to say, you know, 2012 Powell Gasol, that's a pretty, that's a pretty much a, a nightmare matchup for the Miami Heat. Uh, that's a good one, but I don't think, uh, you know, the, I don't think Powell leaves with, with Kobe still being around. I think they they go together forever. I think... Um, 
What was I going to say? Another person that was on the market was Carlos Boozer. He was kind of on the market, but his contract was so ridiculous back then. <laughs> yeah. Because he got kind of juped by uh, Cleveland and then Utah, and then he's yeah. got on the Bulls, and that was like... I think Carlos Boozer had like one year after this anyways, and then he kind of just faded away. That's what I'm saying. This could have been his his shining moment, his Robert Ory, you know, lead the troops kind of moment. But they, they have a Baca. It's like, what are you, you know, this is still like, oh, you need one person at each position type NBA. Yeah. You can say, oh, maybe the Miami Heat didn't do that, but they they often didn't play like Chris Bosh at the five. You know, they they had Birdman in there a lot. They had, uh, you know, it's not like he was their only tall guy. Yeah, I mean, another way of kind of thinking about this is, um, you know, this this twenty twelve Thunder team, you know, they didn't win the title, but they were, they, you know, they were pretty close, very competitive in these games. Um, where do you think they kind of rank along these other recent teams that didn't win the title but came very close? Um, I'm talking about the 2018 Rockets, the 2016 Golden State Warriors, and the 2013 Spurs. You know, these were all teams that, you know, had kind of a, a puncher's chance of really winning the title. Um, and if things kind of break the right way, they're the ones throwing the parade. So, All right, 2012 so... Thunder, 2013 Spurs, 2016 Golden State Warriors, 2018 Rockets. If you just copy and pasted this team into the modern day, you had them yeah. play against the Rockets. It's kind of weird because you get a singularity with James Harden. But, <laughs> um, oof. I think... I think they could keep up. I'm not sure how they would do. I'm not sure if they were. I'm going to probably say this a lot, but I'm not sure how smart the team is to actually <laughs> match up against these guys. Because that was kind of my one of my qualms with the team. is, And I think Scotty Brooks in general is he's a good you know, motivator maybe and developer but there wasn't any really crazy play calls they were running or yeah. defensive schemes they were doing they were kind of just running off talent really and for a lot of these recent contenders you know they've got some pretty smart coaches going on there and pretty smart players yeah that was always one of the criticisms for kevin durant was you know scott brooks was kind of his guy um but you know maybe it cost him a title you know if 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 in 2014 2015 2016 um you got brad stevens right instead of brad stevens gonna boston he goes to oklahoma city you know maybe that thunder team uh puts together a title i you know based off of his body of work right now i wouldn't i would say they probably win too and think yeah. about it. I mean, like, like we're considering Brad Stevens as like the second coming of Pop. Like, I, I don't see how that team doesn't mesh unless there's some chemistry issue there. But they got Perkins on the bench. Like, he's he's the chemistry fixer. Yep. So you know, one of the big things that happened in the aftermath of this series was the James Harden trade. 
you know, infamous as it was. Um, so, you know, we'll, yeah, let's jump into that. But first, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of you know have a little bit of a, a rant here about the um, why the series, you know, what you know, why we decided to focus on this, why I think it's an important series to reflect upon, and that's because from when Jordan left the Bulls in '98. And until this series, the NBA was pretty much dominated by um, isolation basketball, hero ball, and strongman defense. Um, you know, this was an era where Allen Iverson took a 76ers team to the finals. Dwayne Wade in 2006 almost single-handedly won a championship against the Mavs. The Detroit Pistons with team defense went to six straight Eastern Conference Finals. LeBron James once scored 25 straight. Derrick Rose won an MVP at the age of 22. Um, and then kind of from this 2012 Finals onward, um, basically in order to win a title, um, you had to have not just one, but multiple MVP caliber uh, playmakers and stars. Right, 2012 was Miami Heat. 2013, the matchup was uh, Heat and Spurs. 2014, same thing. 2015, we would see Cleveland and their big three against Golden State. Um, and obviously, that would continue until this uh, see, um, 2018 finals when it was back to essentially LeBron. Um, so, you know, that we kind of had like a, a change in the storybook of the NBA. Kind of moving out of this defensive-minded hero ball into more of what we see now, where all these stars are assembled on a team, and that's really the only way you're going to win. But, all right, James Harden trade. Um, Sam Presti trades James Harden to the Houston Rockets um, for Jeremy Land, Kevin Martin, and two first-round picks. Uh, in retrospect, this is how bad of a trade, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> so what do those two first round picks turn into? Let's let's talk uh, about that first. I think one of them turned into a Stephen Adams, and another one turned into Reggie Jackson. Yeah, that's um, so you're talking about two guys that are basically out of the league and a starting point guard or the Pistons, and you're now starting center <laughs> that you're overpaying tremendously. So I believe uh, the Rockets have won this trade in every regard. Yeah, the big thing was uh, apparently the disparity in the contract negotiations uh, was about $10 million. So for $10 million, James Harden would have re-signed as a six-man. <laughs> um... Yeah, right, so ran that front office, uh, you have obviously made one of your greatest mistakes. And you know, let's not forget the old adage here that you know, whichever team trades away the superstar is always going to lose the trade. Pretty much, yeah. Um, how does this compare to other recent trades we've seen with uh, the trade of Kyrie between Cleveland and Boston? Uh, Marcus Cousins between Sacramento and New Orleans, and the Boston Brooklyn uh, Kevin Garnett Paul Pierce crap ton of first round picks uh, trade. 
Though, I think, let's even put it in a more modern perspective right now. Okay. So let's talk about let's talk about how this relates to what the Spurs could get for Kawhi Leonard. Because if they're looking at the Sixers <laughs> trade, you're looking at very similar setup here. You're looking at uh, most likely uh, Markel Fultz, the Miami pick, another pick of some sort, and then um, probably Saric or Covington or another one of those tried and true players that they have um and right now you would say hey that kind of looks like a fair deal but looking back on it you know kevin martin is kind of bad you know <laughs> where's jeremy lamb these days and you know the first round picks sure i mean those could be literally anything you know it's up to what you do with them so i'm not going to hold yeah, them against I mean, it i feel like if you trade a star Jackson, it's got to be two picks anyways yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, Reggie Jackson is obviously not on that team. You know, a few years after the steal. Well, even looking at what they do after Reggie Jackson, you know, you get Reggie as sort of the second coming of Russ. That doesn't work out. You get Oladipo. That kind of doesn't work out. It's like, hey, you know. So, so their follow-up trades aren't fantastic either. Um, this is definitely. I'm not sure if it's worse than any of those crazy KG or Paul Pierce trades because <laughs> now that you look at it, it looks like the Celtics made out great on that. Oh, I know, right? Because <laughs> um, Brooklyn obviously fell all. apart, and then Tatum, Brown, you know, Rozier, Smart, <laughs> Smart uh, you know, and then they still have those assets this year, and now look, they could trade and get like an all-star starting team. Yeah. Hey, so it's just so, insane to me. Like I, I, I kinda see where the equal value was here, but I think I kinda said this earlier where Harden's Harden played great during the year, played pretty good during the playoffs, but then that last playoff series, he didn't look so great, and I think that kinda muddied the water a bit for him. Not him, but for his management trading him. Yeah, I mean, during that summer, um, you know, I was kinda doing you know, that twenty twelve uh summer. I did some digging to see, you know, were there other possible trades on the table. Um, so I'm, I'm going to run through a few and, you know, let me know if any of these pop out to you. Um, one trade that could have happened was between Oklahoma City and Golden State, uh, a straight um, swap, Clay, uh, Clay Thompson and James Harden. So Harden would have gone to Golden State. Clay would have come to OKC. Um, another trade would have been a package of Harden and Ibaka for Kevin Love. Um, another thing we could have seen was after Harden was flipped to Houston, um, KD could have walked um, and was seriously considering going to Houston had it not been for Golden State. Um, so we could have seen a Harden-Kevin Durant um, lineup in Houston. Um, another thing we could have seen was Russell Westbrook and a first-round pick, um, that pick, which eventually became Reggie Jackson, um, going to the Clippers for CP3. So you could have had a CP3, James Harden, Kevin Durant uh, team in Oklahoma City. Wow. Those are some crazy ideas going on there. I, th I think the most interesting one is Clay Thompson for James Harden, just one for one. 
that's a tough one for me um especially considering like okay the next two years you know russ is out or kd's out you know, does Clay maybe step up and become more of a driver? I mean, we know he's a great 3 and D guy. You know, are, is OKC smart enough to actually run him off screens, or is he going to be just like an ISO guy? Like, you know, maybe Clay doesn't shake out well there, um, but maybe he does. And, you know, this Russ-Clay backcourt tandem then works? I don't know. That seems crazy. backcourt. <laughs> yeah, tall, athletic. Ooh. That would definitely be some of the best like uh memes, right? Like Russ and Clay <laughs> and KD. Ooh. Yeah, I think I think if that happened, you know, you might have seen a bandwagon and like a backlash uh against OKC instead of against Golden State. Um But then, so then you get think... Harden and Steph in Golden State. Yeah. Like they do they would have the exact same <laughs> game. It'd be amazing. It'd almost be like the Rockets are right now, but it would be like two years too early. I mean, I also kind of like a CP3 Harden and Kevin Durant lineup too, because I mean, that's kind of intriguing. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. Let me go back a second. You have Steph and Harden on the same team. How many points do you give up to the enemy point guard? <laughs> like, like, I guarantee you. Don't, you don't have Clay. You don't have Clay like helping you out, so. Yeah, okay, maybe that doesn't work then. Maybe they don't have enough defense to compete. <laughs> Uh, so this 2012 Thunder team, do you think they could have beaten the 2016 Golden State Warriors? Because, uh, they took them to, you know, seven games, they were up 3-1. If they have James Harden on that team, does James Harden um, Like if they, if they keep the series? band together? Yeah, does James Harden flip that series? Oh, absolutely. Uh, oh. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if they Very can... Good. They can uh, keep the luxury tax thing together for six years, but I mean, yeah, okay. they might have worked something out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe they could have been convinced from another like finals run, like, oh, let's take a cut and we'll all play together more. Because like they all uh, grew up together, that's crazy. Another trade that was in the in the works, um, or actually, I think it was just a free agent signing, would have been. Um, so this was in, I think, the 2013 summer um, when that really weird Lakers team of Kobe and Nash and Dwight um, and Meta World Peace, you know, like that was kind of falling apart. Um, one of the teams Dwight Howard considered going to in, um, in for the upcoming 2013-2014 season would have been the Oklahoma City Thunder. So you, you could have had Russ, Kevin Durant, um, Dwight Howard, a 2013 Dwight Howard, um, so before he really starts having back issue, or I think he had the back issue, but what do you think of that team? Um, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what to think. I don't feel like 2013, you know, 2013? It's like right on the edge. Like right on the edge. So he went to the Rockets that year, and they were actually a pretty nice tandem back then. I mean, except they like hit each other, but yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but we we kind of know now Dwight's a cancer, so maybe Russ would have hated him a lot too. Maybe that doesn't work out at all. Uh, the other thing we could have seen is if Presti just gave him the ten million dollars, 
um, and re-signed Harden. During the 2013 playoffs, uh, in the first round, Russell Westbrook um, bangs knees with Patrick Beverly, um, and he's out for the rest of the playoffs. And so we all know that like that team basically was then uh, with just Kevin Durant, and they, you know, he couldn't carry them past the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, but if you had a Kevin Durant, James Harden uh, tandem during that playoff run, um, you know, maybe Russ can get back. They make uh, the f- late Western Conference Finals, maybe the finals, but essentially he's not really there. Um, but you have Kevin Durant and James Harden um, battling against the Grizzlies, the Clippers, and the Spurs are kind of the other teams uh, in the rounds. Do you think they make it to the finals? I think there's a, a, a chance there. I think now we know that Harden can play point guard, and I don't I don't know who they're was it still Derek Fisher at this time? Was their backup guard? Maybe. Uh, I think so, but he might have also retired at this point. Uh, at this point, you would have Reggie Jackson on the team, though. He'd be a rookie, but you'd have him. Okay, so it wouldn't it wouldn't like totally neuter your your traditional lineup, but I think they could still make it. I mean, they made it with Harden not playing more than like 20 minutes a game so you give him all russ's minutes i think i think he's a little more productive in that time period especially since we now know that harden can't carry a team on his own either (laughs) so maybe those guys play off each other enough that they take it to like a western finals maybe they don't make the finals but they get to seven games in the western conference finals See, this is what I'm talking about. Like, this 2012 finals was really important because from this, you know, kind of series onwards, the teams that take the title have to have more than one, you know, superstar essentially on the team. You know, um, 2011, you could kind of get away with it with, you know, Dirk and some above average company, um, Derek Rose in the Eastern Conference finals. But once 2012, rolls around i mean you know you have miami back-to-back years then the spurs then the thunder cleveland or sorry not thunder golden state cleveland golden state golden state you know you just have to have more than one mvp essentially on the team yeah that's kind of insane to really think about especially with you know how many mvps there really are the how many teams actually can afford to have two to three superstars guys and like then have not just you know pick up players as the rest of their team like that's insane really when you think about it yeah i mean i think i mean the big thing that oklahoma city really needs is like co-gms pressy's really good at drafting apparently but he's not really good at flushing out the rest of a team so where is sam Presti these days uh, I'm pretty sure he's still with Oklahoma City, right? I don't did he, think did he he's there. Did he get there. Paul George? Got the Paul George um, last year. I thought I thought they I thought they like got rid of him after, like a year after the Harden deal. No, he's still there. But, uh, he pulled in uh, Paul George last year, and everybody thought that was like a win for Presley. And then obviously Oladipo ended up being oh. like yeah, you're absolutely way right. Way more. 
Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, <laughs> Scott Brooks ended up le- um, being fired a couple years after this, though. And then they brought in Billy Donovan. I'm not. What do we think of Billy Donovan? Do we think he's an upgrade? No, I think it's more of a lateral move. Yeah, I would agree. I'm actually not happy. I feel like for the amount of superstars they've had through their ranks, they really should have a better coach by now. Yeah. Um. So, like, through some research, I found out that Brad Stevens was seriously considering three NBA teams when he uh, came into the league in 2014. Um, Boston, obviously. Oklahoma City was one, and the Orlando Magic were the third team. So that's crazy. Two of those yeah. are like small teams. Like two of those are like not. I guess Boston at the time wasn't great either. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Brad Stevens wasn't like, you know, as big as he is now. I think. I mean, obviously, people knew him from Butler, but I think a lot of people more or less accredited that to Gordon Hayward. I think, I think if I remember, he wanted like a longer deal with the team and less pressure because it might yeah. not actually work out. And I'm pretty sure that's why he would stray away from OKC then. And I guess he just liked Boston more than Orlando. Or he liked Danny Ainge more than Sam Presti. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, at this point, it's pretty hard to disagree with that. Yeah. Any other last takes on uh, this kind of, you know, kind of truly transcendental team in NBA history? You know, one of those great what-if teams, what-if dynasties. Definitely an exciting team to watch um, who, you know, let their chance at a title kind of slip by. You know, very similar to an early 90s Portland a flash in the pan almost it's it's like you have this thing going and for your own reasons you split it off i'm i'm it kind of reminds me of dallas a little bit it's like they just didn't re-up their players you know, they just didn't give hardened money for some better reason when you're yeah. you're trying to make you're trying to beat literally the, the mvp of the league or i guess not that year he wasn't, but basically uh, yeah, the best and that player year in basketball. He was. Yeah, the 2012 year LeBron uh, won the MVP. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Rose was the year before. Yeah. Um. So you're trying to beat them. You're trying to beat a Tim Duncan Spurs that you know you're going to have to play every playoffs. Like, I don't know. I, I would love to be in that conference room when they decided, all right, we're going to let Harden walk. Yeah, it was sort of a weird time for the West. You know, the Lakers were getting old. The Mavs caused their own destruction. The Spurs were still really trying to figure out how to include Danny Green and Kawhi into their kind of big three lineup. The Clippers were, you know, you know, between 2011 and 2015, you could arguably say that the two best teams in the West were the Clippers and the Grizzlies. Very consistent, um, but, but of, always kind of one piece away from really contending. Yeah, and then you have this Thunder team, and then all of that sort of vanishes, and here comes Golden State. And the worst part is they didn't even trade. Well, I guess they didn't technically trade Harden, but they let him walk to someone in their same region. I thought GMs yeah. were supposed to trade across conferences. 
Daryl Morey, man. <laughs> Executive of the year for a reason. Executive of the year. Should, should give him a post-facto award for that one. Uh, holy smokes. Just to think about how different the landscape would be if Houston's not even a team on the map right now. Or if, you know, if, if that Thunder team take the title in 2012, you'd have two straight years where the Miami Heat don't win the title. You know, they get to the, they get to the finals, um, but they can't, you know, they, they, they just can't seal the deal. Um, you know, the amount of pressure on LeBron in that third year, um, you know, and if Derrick Rose stays healthy, if Paul George stays healthy, I mean, you know, that Miami team, you know, it, it's considered a mod, you know, a modest success, but it, you know, it could have just as easily been a failure. I mean, Honestly, it probably would have been a rematch again in I mean, the finals. Yeah, 2011, they lose the title. 2012, they, you know, some of those games could have flipped to the Thunder. 2013, if it wasn't for Ray Allen hitting that three um, in game six, there goes another title. And then obviously uh, in 2014, they got blown out almost every single game by the Spurs. I think, wasn't, right. I think LeBron was on like a two plus two deal or something like that. So he could have left after that year and like just gone somewhere else completely, which would have been insane. Yep, could have been. It would have been known as like a ring chaser from then <laughs> on. And we may not, never have been able to see the kind of potential that LeBron really brought to the table in 2015 where he sort of slimmed down to take the pressure off his knees and develop this whole other like game with threes and that kind of, you know, fadeaway elbow shot, that running bank shot. I mean... One, just one more thing that could have changed how we know the world today. Yep. And with that, I think we'll end this wonderful episode of our Heart in the Paint podcast where we asked and discussed the hardest team to screw up in the last eight <laughs> years of the NBA, the 2012 Thunder. Uh, shout out to our Heart in the Paint viewer of the Fortnite, Sam Presti, for realizing his mistakes. As I'm sure he's been raked over the coals enough times for this. So let's cut the guy some slack, I guess. If he signs LeBron, is he forgiven? This year? <laughs> uh, I mean, he signed Mello, so <laughs> I, think, I think he lost out on that one. Oh, man. If only he kept Oladipo and Paul George somehow. That would have been great. Uh, well, we appreciate you all listening, and... Uh, we hope you tune in next time to our next episode of Heart in the Paint. You can follow us on the links provided below. Any feedback, of course, is greatly appreciated at the emails or the comments section. And uh, look for us on SoundCloud, as, as we always say. So with that, a wonderful, wonderful day.